In every pair of Tecovis boots, you can expect handmade quality, first wear comfort, and timeless Western style. Tecovis boots are always made from premium bovine and exotic leathers, and with occasional resoling, they will last a lifetime. The best way to shop for boots is at your local Tecovis store, where you'll be greeted by the smell of fresh leather and a friendly smile. Come on in, grab a cold one, get fitted by a pro, and shop the latest styles. Visit tecovis.com, that's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com, and don't go gently, y'all. If you hunt enough, you learn the truth. What you seek speaks a language and knows it well. That's why every Primo's call for everything you hunt is made the right way. We sweat every detail so you get more out of every hunt, and nothing leaves our hand until we know it'll work in yours. Because we don't just make the world's best calls, we speak the language. Primo's. Finn podcast. As always, I'm your host Brian, and along with me is Scott. And tonight we have an epic guest joining us, a guy that fishes for dinosaurs out of kayaks. Uh, his name's Steve Carroll, also known as Sturgeon Steve, and uh, he's he's on the horn with us tonight, all the way from Idaho. Uh, Steve, thanks for coming on tonight. We really appreciate it, man, and we're really looking forward to this. This is. Uh, this is something that a lot of people I don't think think about fishing for out of a kayak, and that's sturgeon. So, um, Steve, why don't you, uh, you know, start off telling us how you got into kayak fishing, and uh, you know what led you to the sturgeon? Sure, no problem. So it, it uh, started a long time ago, and it started here in Idaho, um, actually fishing for catfish. And uh, we have in our river such a diverse, you know, I mean, we have trout, we have cats, uh, catfish, we have uh, smallmouth, largemouth, we have all of them, but we're, we're blessed in the fact that we have a white surgeon, North America's largest game fish. And I hadn't started targeting these things until about like six years ago or so. And uh, for about two years, I was, was bank fishing for them and just loving it, right? Just loving it. But a lot of the spots here in Idaho, the bank access only, uh, started to get really popular. And, you know, you'd go down to your favorite hole and there'd be somebody fishing there. So um, what I'd also picked up in that time frame was, you know, my love for kayak bass fishing. Sure. And then sure. Nat- naturally the two just bled together. And the thought was always at the back of my mind. You know, if, if guys can go out there in the ocean and catch these monster sharks, I mean, 
um, some early on, some of my biggest inspirations came from a guy, uh, Robert Field. I'm, I'm sure you're aware of him. Oh, yeah. But oh, watching yeah. some of his videos, it was just like, man, I need to be able to do that. Um, and with the white surgeon, you know, they don't have any teeth. They're just, uh, you know, they're just a big, big bucket mouth vault, you know, cartilage. And, you know, it's not as dangerous as some of these toothy critters out in the ocean. And sure. uh, there's guys out there landing 10 foot fish. And, you know, I just uh, did everything I could to study and learn uh, about, about what guys were doing to tackle some of these big fish. Uh, Jim Salmons, um, you know, with his his fishing out uh, off of San Diego, you know, he goes out there in the ocean. He's routinely catching sailfish and big fish like that. Um, so one thing led to another, and, you know, I went out and actually targeted surgeon for about six months from the kayak uh, before I finally hooked up. And I'm really glad that it took me that long to, to hook my first one. Sure. Because back in the day, I was I was about 50 pounds lighter. And I was I had one of these box store boats that I had bought for, it was a sportsman special. I mean, it was a little, I called it my little red Corvette. And yeah. <laughs> it was only a 10-foot boat. And I was just thinking, man, if I had actually hooked up with a surgeon in that kayak, things would have been a lot different. Yeah, but, talk about talk about a sleigh ride. Oh, man. <laughs> there were some there were some learning lessons out there on that boat too. You know, it 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 taught me a lot about anchoring and how not to anchor in a river system. Sure. Um and that's that was where I had my first near miss actually. Uh it was in the first 6 months. Um one of the things that had happened, I was down at uh, Swan Falls, and you know, you got your fish finder on the kayak, and you you see these things on the sonar, and they just bam, they just jump out at you. You cannot miss them; they just look like logs. You see a sturgeon on your sonar, you know right what it is. Yeah. And I had seen two of these things in this hole, and um, I got really excited. I I just all right, we're going to do it. Today's the day. I get out there. I've got two rods, two six-foot ugly sticks, and I have them uh, paired up with some spinning gear with a 150-pound braid. Okay. And not knowing, not having a lot of experience with the uh, with anchoring and current, you know, I really wasn't paying attention to, you know, my boat position. So I had the, the, the stern pointed up river. And I anchored in the current, and my boat had a lot of had a lot of sweat. I didn't pay a whole lot of attention to it. You know, I got my lines out there, and I'm using twelve ounce lead. Got both my lines deployed, and the boat was so small that I had to stage the rods behind the seat. So six foot rods, rods behind the seat, anchored oh, in current. This is a recipe for disaster. disaster. Yeah, and. Uh, a couple minutes goes by, and the sway just got too much, and the boat got sideways, and it rolled me. Oh wow! Now, I hadn't, I didn't start freaking out because I'd practiced deep water reentry, okay. and I have, I had rolled it before on purpose in the current to figure out what I can expect from my kayak and what to expect out of myself. 
But what I didn't plan on was that the two rods, which were secured in the rod holders, they stayed in the rod holders. And when I flipped the boat back over, I had gotten really excited to a complete barrel roll. And I went to flip it back over. By the time I got it upright, I had that 150-pound braid attached. It was tangled around my leg. Oh, man. And I'm in the water. I'm holding on to the boat, and I'm thinking, man, if I let go of this kayak, I'm going to get pulled under in the current. If those baits snag, something happens. So I've got one hand that's free. I grabbed the white water knife that's on my life jacket, immediately just started cutting line, popping those lines. So popped the lines, got freed, wound up popping the anchor line. I had to cut it. I was just done. The paddle was going down river. The GoPro was gone. Just a ton of stuff was gone. And one of the guys that was on the bank down river, I was freaking out because he just got up and left. Like I thought he was going to go get the Coast Guard or somebody. And I was going to be stuck with this massive bill. So I'm like, I'm getting the heck out of here. So, you know, I lost all my equipment and I was walking home that day. And I just felt so selfish because I wasn't thinking about my family and, you know, everything that could have gone wrong. You know, it could have, it could have killed me. But, you know, that whitewater knife, having that, the means to cut that heavy line on your person, yeah. I mean, that is an essential tool, absolutely essential in multiple multiple ways to cut line you know on your body when you're when you're targeting big fish and even even for even even bass fishing i mean you're dealing with some heavier power pro and if you're fishing river systems and you get you know tangled up that that's where it really gets you not so much pond fishing or lake fishing reservoir fishing it's just that current sure is unpredictable especially with the undertows and everything but well, and you're not the first steve to uh to talk about keeping a knife on you Literally, I mean, we've heard that before, and it makes absolute sense. You wouldn't think about it, like I wouldn't think about it, you know. But like you're talking about, you, know, you get tied up in yanker rope, or you get tied up in some some serious braid. It could be game over, especially in a river system. Right, because you're not, you're definitely not breaking 150 pounds. No braid, right? With no, you're not, you're not, you're not biting that line off. Oh, so you need, a, you, you need a beaver to chew through that line. And we've we've made a lot of modifications to the gear and everything uh, since then. We actually run uh, 40 to 50 pound monofilament. Uh, don't go any bigger than that. And that's all you need, really, when you're fishing from a kayak for these big fish, because they can only put so much pressure on that line before before you move. Because I mean, you're not anchored down. You're just you're following them. Sure. And it's got enough line stretch and abrasion resistance to you know not not get all hung up on the rocks and get all frayed. <clears throat> Man, that's crazy. I mean, I guess, you know, being that you were new to it and whatnot, it, I mean, I guess that's something you wouldn't really think of, you know? I totally uh, wouldn't that's, think of that. That's, that scenario happening. So, I mean, I'm glad I'm glad you came out all right, man. And and I totally get where you're coming from, man. You, you know, you were, uh, you know, being selfish so to speak and you know not thinking about the safety and getting back home to the wife and kids so i mean kudos to you for uh you know bringing that up man that's huge uh that's something that me and scott always try to stress here on the podcast is just safety in general you know and oh yeah uh, absolutely you know that's huge there's too many people that count on me at home to 
you know, to get, you know, the sport's dangerous as it is enough, just kayaking on a river. I mean, it doesn't take much. You can hit an underwater rock and just flip, you know, so, you know, targeting these big fish in the river, you know, there's already so much more potential that can go wrong. So you try to mitigate as much risk as possible. And that's, you know, I thank God that you, you spend enough time watching these videos and, uh, Robert Field specifically talking about his his safety, always having multiple ways to cut lines, you know, on your person. And there there hasn't been a single day that I've gone out without at least two ways to cut line attached to my PFD at all times. And the other thing too, and this has happened at Kentucky Lake, um, you know, there's a lot of guys that'll wear, uh, they'll put their phones in like an X grip. Well, if you roll your kayak and you get separated from your boat, you you can't make a phone call. So I always have my cell phone on a lanyard in a waterproof case between my life jacket and my chest. Because if I do get separated, I I do have a, a, a way to get a hold of somebody. Yeah. One of the guys. That's a life the, uh, line, last, man. <laughs> the last national championship, some, one of the guys got separated from his boat for about 40 minutes after he slipped it. Uh, in the inclement weather, and then he had realized that I think he had realized he had it on him, uh, but he had thought he had left it on the boat. But uh, absolutely essential uh, radios, uh, means of communication on your person. Yeah, no, that totally makes sense, man. I know usually when I go out, I always have my cell phone in the pocket on my life jacket. So just for that reason, you know, if something happens, it least i got my phone and a way to communicate to the world and uh you know get some help for sure yeah, yeah. that's huge so this yeah is, so go ahead scott no i was Sorry, just gonna man. say there's a couple questions i had steve around uh you mentioned seeing these missiles right on the on the sonar is it mostly like a, a i don't want to say sight fishing but like from a sonar perspective is that kind of how you go about uh, searching for sturgeon or kind of what's the what's the method there to, to find them first uh so the method mainly for me is to find their habitat um so most of the time you're going to find these things these sturgeon you know at the heads of holes the tails of holes but any kind of depression in a river system will will typically hold fish there's a spot in particular where jay randall and i had gone out the river is only 15 foot deep uh on average and it gets to about 20 foot deep in this one specific area. And that's all it takes because that biomass, uh, the, the dead fish and the, uh, the other food stuff that the surgeon eat, you know, dead crayfish, dead, dead anything. And particularly underneath the dams, they eat a lot of chopped up game fish as they get sucked through the, as they get sucked through the dams. But what I like to do is I focus on the first five miles below a major dam and i look for those depressions in the river and oftentimes you're going to find that those sturgeon you know they're creatures of habit i'll find a lot of a lot of times you'll find them in the same hole and you can you know catch them you know a couple of months apart a lot of these sturgeon have you know unique markings on them where you can identify hey i've caught this one before it's got a special fin that's been clipped a certain way by fishing game for for tracking purposes and some of them have, you know, different markings on their on their face. But yeah. I mean, most of the most of the sturgeon below Swan 
falls you know i think there's documented by idaho power uh something in the neighborhood of 350 adult surgeons something six foot and above uh, within those first five miles so the odds of hooking up with a you know a, a fish that you've already caught uh are actually pretty high but that's that's how i target them i i look below the below the dams and uh, look for depressions in the river in the river body. You know, that's where you, that's where I seem to. And then have what? Most you, maybe explain a little the process. Kind of what, how do you go after them? Right, like what baits are you using? Kind of what are what's what's the method? Is it bottom? Uh, kind of what are you doing? So it's a lot like catfishing. I mean, there's one. There's only one rig that's legal in Idaho. Um, these fish are heavily protected. You know, you can't even take them out of the water, and you wouldn't want to. You wouldn't want to take these big fish out of the water anyways, because their weight, you know, across your arms, it, it disturbs their innards. They weren't, they weren't designed to be held, you know, that much weight out of the water. So it just, it kind of messes with their insides a little bit. You, you see a lot of guys that just, you know, horse these big fish around and they'll release them, but you'll find them Tango Uno upriver or downriver a couple of days later. Yeah, I've always I've always heard that they're super fragile fish, and you know you're not supposed to. I know we have some some sturgeon out this way up up in uh, Wisconsin, and I know, you know, if you hook into one, like I think they say if it's three foot or longer, like you shouldn't pick that thing up out of the water. It should stay in its natural habitat or something like that, just because it's their their body is so fragile, and you could. You know, just the slightest little tweak in their body could kill them, basically. Right. Especially those bigger fish. You, you know, you get a six-footer, you start to pick it up, and you have all that weight resting on, you know, a forearm, and it is enough to jostle some, some innards and, you know, cause enough stress where, you know, they'll, they, they may not survive that. Sure, sure. <laughs> so... Uh, to finish the question, to target them, this, the rig is very specific. You can only use a, a barbless hook, you know, 6 aught to 8 aught somewhere in there. Um, you have to use a, a sinker slider. So if your bait gets snagged and you have to break off, the lead is not attached to the hook. Um, most of the surgeon in the snake, uh, actually over 50% of them that have been surveyed, have some form of ingested tackle that's either swivels, uh, hooks, um, and what they're finding is a lot of these surgeons are able to pass, you know, over time pass this metal, and it, it's almost like they've got an iron gut, um, but they haven't seen uh, a huge impact on the surgeon from all that ingested tackle. But the the tackle that you're using is just a, the barbless hook, the sinker slider. And um, you're, you have to have a drop weight between your sinker slider and your, and your weight. That's got to be 10 pounds lighter than your main line. Those are specific to the regs. So that's, that's pretty much the gear or for the, that's pretty much the rig. The bait can be any kind of fresh cut bait. The fresher, the better. Um, oftentimes, if you can get some hatchery trout, um, perfect. And you want that something. You want those trout with, you know, a nice healthy spine coat on. You don't want to be using uh, trout that you buy at the store that have all been bled. You know, you want something that's almost still pumping blood. Interesting. Um, and they make some pre-made baits, like uh, 
this stuff called sturgeon candy, you know, squid, smell, herring. Um, and the squid may work pretty well on the Columbia, but we don't have a whole lot of squid in the Snake River. So I, I typically stay away from, you know, the baits that don't naturally occur in the snakes because the surgeons just aren't used to eating it. I mean, we have caught them, but the, the hookup ratio for using baits that don't typically naturally appear in the snake are a lot less. Huh. So. That's crazy, man. That's crazy. Um, so, I mean, you know, you hook into a sturgeon, you know, how do, how does that all play out once you get one on the line? Because, I mean, you're you're fighting with current. You got lines. You got rocks in the water you're fighting against. I mean, kind of walk us through, like, your, your go-to scenario. Because, uh, you know, you mentioned Jay was just out there. And uh, Jay's a huge fan of ours, and we're a huge fan of him. And uh, he was kind of walking me through this whole setup, and he was like, man, he's like, there's so much going on. Like, you, you have to be with another person just because of the, uh, of the safety aspects of it, so to speak, right? So, I mean, why don't, why don't you kind of walk us through, like, you know, after you get a fish on the hook, you know, how does that all play out? <laughs> sure. Uh, so you're sitting there. A lot, a lot of the times what we'll do is, uh, I've got a couple of holes that just, just always produce. And if I don't have to be on anchor, I don't want to be on anchor. So what I'll do is I'll just park the stern, you know, I'll flip down to a spot. I'll park the stern, uh, on the side or on the, on the riverbank and then just power pull down in, you know, a couple of inches of water. So when that fish hits, you know, I'm on the power pole. Um, you know, you, you tighten that drag down and, you let the fish run. What's going to happen is in the first couple of minutes, you're going to see that fish or 90% of the time you're going to see that fish because he's going to jump and you're going to have a really good indication of, of size and kind of what you're in for. Um, in Jay's case, he came out here last year and he had hooked a, hooked a really good fish. Uh, I had grabbed the rod first. It felt like something in the seven foot class. And uh, I gave the rod to Jay and it pulled him in his kayak just right off the bank and out in the water. And it was like a tow truck. This fish just, just, it takes you. They just take it. And the draw is when these fish take you down river, I mean, you're, you're pretty much out of control for the first 15 minutes, you know, sure. depending on the size. And it's that fight to regain the control of that fish. That's a, that's a huge draw. So the way you do that is, I mean, you, you have to keep safety in mind that, that for, at, at all times, but the first thing you got to do is make sure that that fish is, you know, a decent way away from the boat as possible. So there's two things that they're going to do. They're either going to go down river or they're going to go up river. 99% of the time, they're going to go down river. Um, so you're just going to uh, follow them down river. They're going to be on one side. You're going to be fighting them on the other side if you can, if you've got a pedal drive perfect you can put some distance between yourself and the fish and put some resistance on that fish and you want to you want to focus on wearing them down if the fish decides to go up river you're just going to sit there and hang on and you're going to enjoy the ride because you're not much <laughs> not much else you can do right <laughs> that's that's it because you don't want to reel you don't want to reel down to that fish to the leader or else you're going to wind up with that that situation that we had with Bryce Thompson 
and it was a phenomenal shot, but that, that massive eight-foot fish, it came clear out of the water right next to his boat. You don't want that to happen. Sure. You know, as cool as that picture was, that is, is not safe. So you want to keep some distance, uh, especially in the first half of the fight. Um, and you always want to keep your center of gravity over the center of the boat. You know, if the fish uh, decides to change directions and he's perpendicular to the boat, just back off the drag, let him take line, you know, hold that rod, you know, right over the bow and use your core muscles to help you turn the kayak so that you're facing the fish. And then you just, you'll go into the, the second part of the, the second part of the fight, I guess, is after that initial 10 or 15 minutes, you know, you can you can see that they're starting to try and rest uh, sure. in certain areas. They're not running as hard. You know, that's when you can really put a hurting on them. Um, and then you can get them close to the kayak after that. But what you're going to want to do is you're going to want to quickly look for uh, potential landing zones. And oftentimes we'll already be fishing in an area where we've got landing zone A, B, C, and D figured out. Sure. Uh, you know, if we blow past them, this is where we're going to go. If we blow past that one, that's where we're going to land. You don't want to just go to a spot, hook up with a fish, and then try and figure out where the heck you're going to land, you know, on the fly. You, you kind of want to do your research on Google Earth and, you know, spend some time on the river and understand where you, where the shallow areas are going to be, so where you want to land this fish. What you don't want to do is you, you don't want to get – the fish to the side of the boat and then release them at the side of the boat. Cause there's huge safety implications there. Um, and I've actually seen this happen before a guy had gotten hooked releasing a three footer. He got the hook caught in his finger as he was releasing the, releasing the fish to the side of the boat. If that was a bigger fish and he did decide to run right then and there and you're hooked on your yeah. finger to that hook and he's going, you're going with him. That's so, crazy, man. So always so, yeah, so, go ahead. No, real quick for our you for our listeners when when we talk about I mean, what does an 8 8 foot sturgeon go for pound pound wise? Steve. About 300 300 to 350 pounds somewhere in there. I mean, it, that's serious, right? <laughs> I yeah. mean, Brian, that's like that's like me oh. grabbing your finger. <laughs> yeah. It's, Inside of the boat. It's like catching that's, a human. It's yeah, like catching a big totally human. Is, right. Yeah. Right. That's bigger than an average human, that's for sure. And I mean, you know, just for people that may not know about sturgeon, like how big or what's the biggest sturgeon you've seen come out of that river, like lengthwise? Uh ten foot six. Ten foot six is the biggest that I've seen landed in the river systems that we're fishing. That's insane. I mean, now you're talking the size of a, a of a small kayak, like. Oh my God! Yes, I mean they get they get huge, and on the Columbia, they get way bigger. But the Columbia, I consider that more or less off limits because of, you know, that out of control element that we were talking about earlier. Sure. Um, there's a lot of shipping lanes. There's a lot of boat traffic. There's a lot of stuff going on on the Columbia, and it's a big river system. It's wide. It's super wide. Uh, in the snake, you know, we're 100 feet, 150 foot wide most of the time. So it's almost like the Goldilocks River system, in my opinion, uh, to fish for these things because the shoreline is, you know, within an easy distance. You're not a half mile offshore uh, if you have to land these. If you if you get into an emergency and you got to get to the shore, you know, you're you're a lot closer, and you're you don't have any 
barge traffic or boat traffic really on the snake because it's, it's dam locked. There's no fish ladders. There's no uh, locks for boats to go up and down the river. So, huh. um, so yeah, the so the snake, great river in my opinion, uh, to specifically target sturgeon from the kayak. There's a couple other places, the Sacramento River and the Willamette. Um, I really haven't looked into it on the Willamette. I know guys are doing it. And I know uh, a good buddy of mine, Robert Pereira, puts on a um, Heroes on the Water event every year. Uh, I forgot what the name of it's called. It's a, it's a sturgeon sleigh ride. But you're nice. fishing, essentially fishing in the uh, on the Columbia. But um, I think it's closer to, uh, where is it? What is that at? It, it, it's they call it the Jurassic Park, and they're fishing the dry docks where all the naval. Yeah, uh, it's in. Uh, isn't that like Washington or Oregon or something? Right, it's like, pretty far downriver from from where, where you're at. Something. Right. Yeah, that's crazy, man. Yeah, I've seen something. Uh, you know, some guys fishing those dry docks for sturgeon over there. Um, and it's pretty crazy. I mean, they were catching, you know, some some five foot fish, which I mean, even still, man, like, you know, I say five foot fish, and I'm thinking like, that's the size of my daughter. You know what I mean? Like that's <laughs> that's just insane. You know, like I, I couldn't even imagine that. You know, you know, we we out here in the Midwest, you know, we get we get lucky when we catch a northern pike or a muskie that's like four foot. You know, that's like celebrated. But to catch like a a a four foot sturgeon and be like, yeah, it's just a small one. Like, that's just crazy to me. Like, that's just a weird concept. I don't know how you feel about that, Scott, but that's just, that's just bonkers, man. Well, the, well, the funny thing about it too, is when you, when you think about it, I mean, you know, you'll, we'll catch bass that are two and three pounds and they'll literally pull the kayak. Right. And it's like two or three right. pounds. I, like, could you imagine yeah. a 300 pound fish? <laughs> I mean, that's unbelievable. Right, right. Yeah. That's in, insane. Oh. Yeah. Like, about the the fastest you'll ever go in a kayak isn't with a torpedo. It's attached to a sturgeon going down the river. <laughs> Do they sell that at Rocktown? Do they sell the sturgeon power drive system? I don't know. We'll have to talk to Travis over there and see it, see if the paddle shop's got the sturgeon drive over there. But I got a feeling he's going to tell me no and question why I'm asking him that. You know? Yeah, yeah. So, so Steve, when, when what are you fishing out of these days, kayak wise, and and kind of uh, kind of what's your thought process there with regard to sturgeon fishing? Sure. Uh, so it, it's the game's been getting bumped up every year for you know stability. First, it was the Cuda Twelve. Uh, it was my first yep. kayak that I had actually caught a sturgeon out of. And, uh, you know, I found that it was quick. It was very quick, but I needed something more stable. Um, the Cuda HD came along, loved it. Fantastic boat. But, again, you know, you're having to use paddles, uh, and the pedal drive is going to be the way to go. So early on, what you would have to do with the paddle is you would have to actually pinch the rod between your knees and back paddle against these fish uh, to, work, to get to where you needed to go. So it was a full-body workout. Nowadays, I'm using the Kusa FD, and we'll soon be upgrading to the bigger FD. Uh, but the Kusa FD is just such a phenomenal boat; it's super stable, and it it, it does everything that I needed to do uh, for sturgeon. the The bigger FD is going to be just a, an improvement upon stability. I think the boat goes 40, 40 inches wide, 
Yeah, yeah um, I think that's what it is. Yeah. And yeah, it's going to be nearly impossible to flip to flip that boat. Yeah, and I'm sorry, Steve. I I totally forgot to mention. Uh, you know, you guys listening at home, Steve's actually on the Jackson kayak team. Um, so I forgot to mention that. But uh, yeah, I mean that. You know, me and you had a conversation last night over the phone, and you know, I think I think you're spot on. I mean, from everything I've seen and heard about that Jackson FD, I mean that thing is just. Uh, let's just say it's the bee's knees, so to speak, and. Um, Jay's told me quite about, quite a bit about it. I've read quite a bit about it and, you know, I'm actually, uh, in consideration of picking one up this season coming up here. So, but I think you're, you're spot on that things like super wide, super stable, you know, and then you got the pedal drive on top of it. I think that's going to be key for, for what you're doing out there for sure. And you know what, there's a lot more to that drive system on the FD that Jackson has made improvements on um they ship with these blades i call them the gumby blades but i think i think they got a more specific uh name than that but they're flexible the blades that the boats are shipping with these days they're more flexible so you're you're not going to break them like the first generation of blades were a lot harder uh a lot harder flats for if you backed over like if you're floating backwards down over you backed over a rock you could easily break a blade um i bought nine of these blades and I've, I, I replaced my hard blades with, uh, with these Gumby blades and I haven't had any issues. I still have six spares. I've been running all year on the same set of blades and it's, it's great because on the river system, you know, you want to put as much focus on fighting these fish. And, you know, when you're going down river, you do hit a rock, that drive is going up into the boat. Um, you get into some shallow stuff, you don't have to worry about your prop blades breaking off. It's just Jackson's done such a good job with the design of that daggerboard dino to kick up underneath the boat and then also with those flexible blades. So if you do catch something, you know, it's going to be a lot of, it's going to be forgiving. You're not going to, uh, you know, bend anything out of, out of square. You're, you're still going to be fishing whether you hit debris or not. Yeah, I think that's cool. I mean, I didn't know that they came out with a new set of blades. I know, um, you know, when uh, Jay was fishing out of his Kusa, he was telling me, you know, I always carry extra sets of blades with me just for that instance. Like you were talking about, they were stiffer plastic. So I didn't, I, I had no clue that they came out with uh, a more flexible plastic, so to speak, for that, uh, the prop blades there. Right. And they came, they came out with it. Uh, let's see, I would say at the beginning of the year, um, and I think Jay was actually on the pilot uh, demo testing of, of those blades, um, but you can literally grab those blades and you can bend them back and forth, um, and then when we compare the two blades, the stiff blade versus the, the, the Gumby blade, you know, I think you see maybe 0.1 difference in, in overall speed reduction, but the reliability that you get out of this is, is phenomenal. You, it's not even a worry anymore for me. I I use the tax spare blades. Don't need to with the with these new blades. They're just they're they take a feeding. And they, I'll send you some pictures. They're all scratched up, and uh, they just bend to hell and back. And uh, yeah, they're still they're still trucking. Interesting. Seems well worth the investment. You know, if you ask me. I mean, that's that's pretty killer, especially if you're fishing river systems like yourself. You know. I mean, I think that's where you're going to run into more issues than, 
you know, for instance, lakes or ponds or whatnot. But, you know, in river systems, when you're dealing with rocky bottom all the time and, you know, hitting boulders and stuff, that's huge, man. That's super huge. Hey, hey, Steve, were you at um, were you at the Jackson Summit, Jay? I was. I did not make it to the summit. Okay. Um, I know. I know Jay was. Jay Randall was there. Well, the reason I'm asking <laughs> is, were you able to at least outside of that or anywhere else? Were you able to try out the the new big rig? Just wanted your thoughts if you had. I have not. Okay. I have not put it on. I've. I've not been able to test it yet, but from what I've heard from from Jay Randall, that this boat is surprisingly fast. You're not cutting through the water. You're glad on top of it yeah you know it is it totally blew his ex- expectations of a big boat away this thing was pretty you know pretty dexterous it uh, was able to turn very sharp yep um and it was quick get getting up and going it was a it was a phenomenal boat for that and he was he was testing out the the e-drive for that too and um he, he had nothing but positive things to say about the whole the whole experience so i'm actually pretty excited to get the get the big rig and and check it out yeah we we heard the same thing obviously from the same guy but what's interesting is i mean jay's fished a lot of different kayaks you know he's got a liska and kusa and all that good stuff so i mean he's you know he's pretty pretty boat savvy when it comes to that so when he says something we we take it pretty serious for sure for sure oh yeah so so you do bass fishing as well correct yep um do a little bit of bass fishing and uh it's just it's just such a phenomenal sport. Um, that's actually why I got into kayak fishing in the first place was uh, was the bass fishing element of it. And then I had found out about the, the kayak bass fishing and, you know, what they do for allowing or for being able to be, you know, a guy just starting out who loves to compete. Yep. Being able to get into something that can take you nationwide, you know. Yeah. So. Well, Brian, you, a, Brian a, you know what I'm feeling right now? What's that? I'm feeling the hot seat. What are you thinking? Yeah, we could do a hot seat. I'm I'm, I'm thinking right now, uh, Steve. We don't know any of your favorite techniques for bass or anything, but I'm gonna throw some questions at you, and you got to pick one or the okay. other. I'm gonna give you a choice. You good with that? Sure. All right. You ready? We're talking bass fishing now. Yeah, let's do it. All right. I'm going one color: black and blue, or watermelon. Um, how stained is your water? <laughs> no, <laughs> good answer. That's yeah, a great answer, answer, but it's not allowed. I love the answer, but it's not allowed. You got to pick one or the uh, other. I'm going to go with watermelon. Interesting. Just, I good. love that color. It works out well out here. Yeah. Boom. I love nice. it. I love it. Second question. You ready? Sure. Spinner bait or chatter bait? Um, you know, I to be honest, I don't throw a whole lot of either of those, uh, but uh, I have a lot more experience and success with the spinnerbait. Interesting, interesting. Nice. Double blade or single blade on the spinner? <clears throat> um, depends on. No. Nope. Depends on what I'm doing. Some of the. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, uh, just a single. Single, single. I love it. And the last one for me and Brian, you might have one or two, but uh, swim jig or football jig? Uh, for me, it's going to be the football jig. Nice. Is that is that what there you do a lot is. of your fishing with? Uh, as far as uh, when you would uh, do bass sw- fishing. Uh, for 
so here in Idaho, we have a large smallmouth population. Most of it is smallmouth. That's awesome. Um, and you're, you're, you're targeting these things around rocky structure and whatnot. Yep. Um, you can take them off with swim jigs, and those will certainly work in certain areas where the, um, the forage is predominantly like kokanee. The Warshack, for example, has mm-hmm. a huge kokanee population, and that's what those smallmouth are used to eat. And so you'd be more apt to throw something like that uh, up in northern Idaho on, on that specific reservoir, whereas if, if you're fishing the river system, you know, you're going to be throwing something that imitates more of a crayfish sure, uh, because that's 90% of that smallmouth diet. Nice. So uh, power fishing or finesse fishing? Ooh, a good one. You know, it's been a lot of finesse fishing this year, a lot of finesse. Drop shot or Ned rig? Ooh, good Drop one. Drop shot. Nice. <laughs> yeah. I would have Steve, said nice either you're... way, to be honest. I think Steve's <laughs> I think Steve's my long lost brother. <laughs> That's awesome. Drop shot has been killer for me this year. Really? Yeah, absolutely killer. It's been one of the one of the main uh rigs that I was throwing this year, uh, for smallmouth. And you know, it just, there's something about it. Yeah. Uh, mainly because I don't like having to tie on a whole bunch of med rigs because you lose sure. them in the rock. Sure. Um, but the, the, the drop shot. And more interestingly, Yum has a, a $3 packet of some of their baits. Uh, I think they're called the warning shot and the kill shot. Yeah. Two yeah, of yeah. my favorite drop shot baits. I mean, they've, they really knocked it out of the park this year with with those drop shot baits, and you wouldn't expect it. But man, you'll go through those uh, those you'll go through two or three bags of those in a day, just hammering them, just hammering them. What are your go-to uh, colors on that, Steve? Uh, bold bluegill. It's really? Brown with a yeah. Love it. The brown and a green bodied drop shot. That's cool. Nice. Man, I think I need to move to Idaho. <laughs> That's what I'm thinking. That's what I'm thinking, Idaho, too. Idaho's full. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I, back in the day, I used to uh, I used to be friends with a guy on a forum, and uh, he lives up that way, uh, right outside of Boise, I think it is. And he did a lot of fly fishing, and uh, that that's, like, one of my secret passions. And I actually got uh, Jay on a fly fishing kick right now. And uh, Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, man. And this guy would send me pictures of just, just beautiful rainbows that he was slam rainbows and browns that he was slamming up there. And I was just like, oh man, like it would be so awesome just to, I mean, I fly fished in Colorado and you know, there's some quality, quality blue ribbon streams out that way. But I mean, Idaho, Montana, like, man, that uh, I envy you. Let's leave it at that. But- that's <laughs> uh, one of those things that Idaho's known for is its phenomenal trout fishery. Yeah, um, oh, you know, heck yeah. just there on the Boise River, right there in town. Um, it's a very popular spot for fly fishermen to get out there, and they're just they're smacking the browns, they're smacking the rainbows. I mean, they're just they're just crushing it, and it's it's great because it's a beautiful river system running right through the middle of Boise, and here in the southwest portion of Idaho. Um, you know, it, it's it's growing so fast. As a matter of fact, I think the population grew by fourteen percent. Oh wow! Last, wow. last year it was 
just phenomenal. We have a lot of people that are moving up from California, you know, some transplants that are coming down from Washington. And sure. overall, the state's just just exploding with with new growth. But um, Idaho's trout fishery is, especially in the eastern part of the state, is an absolute phenomenal fishery. There's guys that will come from all over and uh, fish the different streams, the different uh, uh, different stretches of river for for the browns, uh, the brooks, the rainbows. I mean, they get the full the full gambit of all the trout species depending on where you're at in the state. That's awesome. That's awesome. I think I need to go to Idaho for like a couple months this year coming up. Do you? Do you, you do... know what? Go ahead, Steve. Sorry. There's a uh, Jay Randall. He's coming back out for round three of kayak sturgeon fishing. Oh, I'm really? Sure we can. Yeah, I'm pretty sure we can organize that. Really? Yeah, here as well. Yeah. Hmm. I may have to have a conversation with my friend Jay Randall. We might not be <laughs> friends after this conversation. <laughs> He didn't tell me this. Hmm. No, this I know, this, I know Jay, Jay's going to listen to this podcast, so yeah, I, I'm sure he's laughing and shaking his head right now as he's hearing this. So, yeah, We're going to have a conversation, Steve. Jay is such a good sport. You know, he first came out, and uh, we fished hard, uh, both him, myself, and then uh, Jameson Redding was actually out, and we are getting some footage, and we fished hard for three days. I mean, the, but the river system, the dam levels were just fluctuating so much that it was thrown off the thrown off the fishery. We fish hard, um, and it, we we just whipped it right. So I told Jay, I'm like, Jay, man, I'm so sorry for ha- you having to spend all this money to come out here. You know, we're gonna split some costs. I'm getting you back out here. I'm getting you your fish. Come on back out to Idaho. So he came out here and we fished uh, hard for the first two days. And the second day, we actually had a we had an accident. That yeah, why don't, why don't we talk about that? Because I know uh, I know Jay briefly told me about it, and you kind of told me about it when we talked on the phone the other night. And uh, you know that's a that's a huge safety thing. And I mean, you touched on it a little bit with your other story, but uh, yeah, why don't we get, dive into that a little bit? Sure, sure. Um, so this was this was Jay's second trip from from the East Coast. And we're hell-bent on getting him a fish, right? And it's day two of three of a three-day trip, and we're still um, not getting at it. You know, we haven't hooked up. And I'm getting a little greedy. I've got three surgeon rods, you know, total two on my boat, one on the Jays. But I only ever run one rod at a time uh, for, for safety's sake, ease, you know, ease of reeling in sake. Um but we decided to put three out today, and uh, the water was wicked cold. I think it was in the mid 30s, and the air temperature wasn't much much better. But we were dressed for the occasion. Um, well, at least I should say I was dressed for the occasion, and uh, it was a very eye-opening experience for Jay uh, as he was wearing bibs that day. I had a, a full dry suit on, um, had again the whitewater knife, had the the NRS boundary boots, and the the NRS Rogue gloves. Okay. Uh, so totally warm all the way throughout. Um, <laughs> we get these three lines out there, and the wind just starts whipping up, right? We have the sterns. We got the, the power poles down. Um, the wind starts whipping up, and the wind's going the opposite way of the current. So already not my favorite thing. And it was gusting at like 18 to 20 miles an hour that day. Over a 40-foot hole, we were starting to see some 
you know, some rollers. So what wound up happening is naturally three rods, that close proximity, they got tangled up. All right, kind of reset the bait and reel some in and uh, get these rods a little bit further apart from each other. Well, they get tangled up. And uh, I'm like, oh, man, I can, I can get this fixed if I just get on the other side of Jay's boat and, you know, sand dangle the lines a little bit. And, uh, you know, I really wasn't paying attention to the water like I should have been. And sure. I really wasn't watching the hydrology of the river. As I was trying to undo one of the lines because it had snagged, you know, it's essentially like, again, an anchor. And I'm getting sideways to the current. And I'm totally focused on getting this knot undone. And then all of a sudden I hear, I hear Jay say, Steve, and he says it in a way where he conveys an entire message in the way he said my name. I heard it, and he was saying, Steve, you're about to go over. You're about to tip. you gotta, you got to fix yourself. I look up, and again, slow motion moment. I close my eyes, and I think, how much crap am I going to lose? And the, the dollar signs are just flying by in my head. Kayak, oh, turtles, I'm in my dry suit. A total dry suit, totally safe and sound, good to go. But again, uh, Jay's got one of the rods. I handed him one of my rods, so now he's got two. One of the the third surgeon rod went underwater, and I'm in the water. Jay's close to me. I felt the lines on my back, uh, the surgeon lines, and Jay was right there, man. He was right there on the spot. He knew what he had to do. He had to get to me. He had to make sure that I had some place safe to grab onto. So he pedaled the Kusa over and gave me the ability to, to grab onto the side of that gunnel and just to help myself get free. If he wasn't there for that, I would have just, you know, if I was fully tangled, I don't think I was tangled, but I could feel the lines on my back. Sure. Um, I would have been able to pop them with that whitewater knife. And that's the other thing, always having that on you, you know, it's like second nature. You don't have to guess in the moment's notice when it's an emergency, you know, where your equipment's at. And uh, Jay was telling me about this because, you know, all these things were going through his head, like, oh, my God, what do I do with this? I don't, I don't have this knife. I don't have these scissors. There's nothing I can do to help Steve really except be there for him sure, uh, and, and help him get out of the water. So, you know, he lost or the, the, the line pressure got too great on one of the rods and he just had to let go. So that was the second surgeon rod that disappeared, but he's got the, he's got the, uh, the one surgeon rod left. And, uh, you know, we, we deal with it. We get to shore, uh, the CUDA HD is upside, upside down for a while. Now we get it to the shoreline and get it out, stand it up, get it starting to drain. And we're sitting there reflecting on the moment. And I'm looking at Jay, and man, Jay is like, like he had just seen a ghost. I feel fine. I've practiced for this. You know, I'm dressed for this. This is normal. But then I realized, man, Jay's super shook up. Yeah. And he tells me, he looks at me, he's like, what am I doing out here? If that was me, and I'm wearing my bibs, and they're filled up with water in this cold weather, yeah, it would have been it could have been a completely different story. And he, it totally changed his outlook on wearing the proper gear for, you know, what you're fishing in. And he, the, the complacency of, Oh, I've been doing this for so long and Oh, it can't happen to me. Uh, set in and, 
you, you don't think it can happen, but it's not a matter of if it'll happen to you, it's a matter of when. when it's happened yeah. to me twice in four years, and uh, you just got to be prepared for it. So Abs- it, absolutely, it, man. Absolutely. I mean, I, it, you know, me and you have had a conversation, you know, to that regards, you know, it's just like, you know, everybody, like you said, everybody says, oh, it'll never happen to me. I know my boat. I know what I'm doing, blah, 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 blah. But when it comes down to it, you know, it, it happens when you least expect it. And most people that don't make it out like you do are the people that when it does happen because they're not expecting it, they freak out. They don't know what to do. And then that's when they panic and even worse things happen, so to speak. So. Man, I mean, you know, uh, go ahead, Steve. It, it it opened my eyes on my responsibility as an angler taking other anglers out for these surgeons. I have a responsibility to them to make sure that they are AJ squared away. And I had I had failed Jay that day because he didn't. I didn't make sure he had a knife on him. I didn't make sure that he had a dry suit. Um, I was. I, I think I just got into the the mindset. Oh. Oh, Jay's been doing this a long time. He's experienced enough, just like we were just talking about. Sure. But from here on out, you know, if we don't check these safety boxes before we go out there on the water, we're not going. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, like you said, man, you got people at home counting on you, and uh, it's your responsibility to make it back to those folks. And, you know, it, we talked about a couple instances this summer. Like we had uh, – I think it was in August, two, two college kids went out on Lake Michigan at 8 o'clock at night, no PFDs on, no PFDs in the boat, wind kicks up, you know, big water, that wind can switch directions. Next thing you know, you're, you know, you go from flat calm to five to six foot waves. I mean, I've seen it personally out on a big charter boat out in the middle of the lake and, uh, both kids flipped over. One didn't make it back. And it's just, I mean, it's its not the same as a dry suit, but still, it's just common stuff that, stuff that should be checked off, like you said, in that box before you even get in a boat and hit the water. And and I know after Jay came back from Idaho, he, he razzed me up quite a bit. And, uh, you know, because I was still taking my boat out fishing and it would be, you know, 40 degree air temps, you know. 40 degree water temps, you know, simple 120 rule. And I wasn't wearing a dry suit. And, uh, I actually went down to the paddle shop and, uh, invested in, you know, an NR, uh, NRS dry suit, you know, because, you know, Jay's right, man. I mean, there, it, there's a lot of times where I'm going out by myself. And again, I was on a river, you know, it, it you know, if something would have happened. I was by myself and I wasn't in a dry suit. I mean, I might not be sitting here right now. You know, it's just, it, it, it makes sense, man. And it's just like, you know, cause I'm, I, I was one of those guys like, ah, it'll never happen to me. I'll be fine. I'll be fine. Nothing will happen. I know my boat. I trust my boat, but you never know, man. You never know. Especially when you're fighting a fish because you're so focused on fighting that fish. You're not paying attention to your surroundings. Next thing you know, you're hitting a rock going over, you know, that's it, man. And so Man, I'm 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 glad you you definitely made it out, and uh, you know I I think exactly like you said, man. You you practice that stuff, which I think a lot of people don't do. Myself personally, and I think me and Scott had talked about this at one point where, you know, we 
should both go flip our boats over in the middle of the lake, you know, in the middle of summer and try to flip them back over and, you know, get ourselves back into them because there may be a point in time where we have to do that. I mean, you know, I don't, I don't know how you feel about that, Scott, but, you know, I, I think it's a necessity for Absolutely sure. Absolutely it is. Absolutely. You know, I, I, I would go and venture to say you should take it one step further and, and do that every year because uh, most of the time, anytime you get a new boat, I've always rolled it on purpose. So I know what to expect out of the boat, rolling it back over. But, you know, as we get it, as we keep fishing and keep fishing, and for me, I just keep putting on the weight and putting on the weight. I have to know what to expect from myself sure. as well as the boat. So sure. you need to know what your physical limitations are. You know, is this something that you can easily do or is this something that you can't do very well? Uh, case in point, um, it wasn't brought to my attention until Jay was here. He had came from something like a, what was the elevation out there? 200 something feet. Sure. Uh, above sea level. Well, it's, it's 25, 2700 feet up here in Idaho. And when he got done fighting his six and a half foot fish and he was coming back up river, man, he was gassed. And I think it was that elevation change that oh, really yeah. played a part in it that you just, you just don't think about. So, you know, you got to be acclimated for it. You got to, you got to practice what to expect out of your boat and practice what to expect out of yourself every year. Sure. Not just not get the boat one, hold it and roll it back. You know, three years ago, it, it could be a completely different boat by then. I mean, you could have your fish finder unit could be in the way of how you roll it back over now. Now you can't, sure. you know, seal hop up onto this thing. Right. Yeah, and I, I can attest to the elevation thing, you know, where I go out in uh, Colorado fly fishing. I think uh, where we stay is somewhere around seven or 8,000 feet elevation out in uh out in winter park, Colorado. And, uh, you know, just walking the, the banks, you know, I get gassed, you know, just cause the air's thinner up there, you know, and that's a, a thing that a lot of people don't think about, you know? So, but, uh, yeah, yeah, that's good stuff there, man. Uh, we definitely appreciate the, uh, the safety, safety aspect there. And, uh, you know, uh, like I said, man, I'm just glad you, you made it back and uh, nobody got hurt. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. You know, thank you. Um, hey. But uh, we we had a great time the third day that we went out and we did hook up. And it was funny because uh, we replaced one of the sturgeon rods. And uh, it was, you know, Jay was super nice. And he, he bought this setup. Uh, and we got it all rigged up and it was a brand new rod never been fished with before and then the first 10 minutes of day three wham we get freight trained i mean holy cow this fish hit so hard it was gonna pull that rod out of that boat we set the drag light for that reason those sure. those sturgeon will, will sometimes hit like a trout but other times they will just freight train and they will take that bait and they are off like a bat out of hell and uh, it was, Jay had the rod. He set that drag down, and then he was across the river in no time. <laughs> it was it was incredible. Yeah, he he said it was an unbelievable experience, and uh, 
Yeah, I know he was he was definitely looking forward to get back getting back out there and doing it again, man. So that's definitely you know, it's cool. just there's something about it too. When you pull up that fish to the side of your boat, I don't care who you are, when you pull something over six foot up and you see it for the first time, you get to put eyes on it, it, it stokes that that primal fear of deep water and big fish in deep water, and it, it's just a huge adrenaline rush. So the first time you see that fish and you're like, oh, my God, I'm yeah. attached to that thing? Come <laughs> <laughs> yeah. on. Every single time, it never fails. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. Very cool. Well, we're coming up on the hour, my man. Uh, you got anything else you want to add to this, or uh, you know, did we miss anything? Man, it has already been an hour. Holy cow! That was, yeah, that we was told you. Fast. We told you it go fast, man. It's it's funny. Like everybody's like, really? It's already an hour. I'm like, yeah, you know, time flies okay. when you're talking about something you're passionate about. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I would just I would just say, you know. I was lucky when I was first starting out uh, by doing uh, doing some enough research to know that you always have to have a, a knife on you whenever you're dealing with big fish, big line. Sure. If if you plan on starting to target some big fish like this, I mean, do your research, do your homework, you know, find out different techniques, different tactics of how guys that are already doing this, you know, what are their successes, what are their failures, what can you learn from their experiences? Um, and, and put those to the test. There really wasn't a whole lot of people targeting the, the white surgeon specifically in the river systems, a moving body of water. Sure. And, uh, you know, for me, I learned the hard way in the first six months about anchoring and current, uh, yeah. getting greedy, putting too many rods out, uh, heavy braided lines, um, but having, having, the, having the mindset that you will go in the water and that you will need to free yourself from any kind of heavy line is key. You got to make sure that you have multiple ways of, of disconnecting yourself from whatever you're snagged on, white water knife, scissors, um, another knife on your body, and also a, a way to communicate, uh, always having that cell phone on your body. And always going out with a buddy, too, because I wouldn't recommend going out by yourself and trying to target an eight-foot fish because it, it literally is a two-man job. Yeah, it's um, dangerous. It's dangerous. The one of the one of the eight footers that I've caught recently, you you put as much force on this rod, on this ugly stick, and it's in the full U, and you're trying to pull up, and that fish is not moving. It's staying underneath your boat, and there's nothing you can do. You're at the mercy of that fish. Eight foot fish and bigger. Yeah. You, you can't horse them. They're gonna yeah. come in when they're going to come in, when they're ready. You're sure. not bulldogging this and you just, you gotta, you gotta be aware of everything that could potentially go wrong and how to get yourself out of that. So ask yourself those questions, uh, so that you, you don't wind up as a, as a statistic. Amen, man. Heck yeah. No, that's good info right there, man. Um, so with that being said, Steve, uh, where can people follow you? Also, you know, go ahead and feel free to plug uh, any of your sponsors and stuff like that before uh, before we wrap up here. Sure. Um, Alpenglow Mountain Sport here in uh, Boise, Idaho. They're a great outfitter for supplying uh, boats and everything that we need for, you know, for taking multiple people out. 
Um, and they've got everything that you need from suits, gear, paddles, uh, that sort of thing for, for getting outfitted for uh, doing the sturgeon fishing. Um, but also, if, if you want to check out some of the video content, just look up Sturgeon Steve on YouTube uh, and hit that subscribe button. Um, nice. I'm going to be focusing more on producing content in 2019. Uh, this year, 2018, I, I was really chasing bass and chasing points on that on the on the local club trail. Sure. Um, and it, it really took me away from my passion the sturgeon fishing. So I'm going to put a lot of lot more content how I'm fishing for these, where I'm fishing for these at, um, you know, not specific locations, obviously, but, um, you know, what I'm looking for, the, the rigging that I'm using, uh, the, the gear that I'm using, who I'm going out with uh, to, to go tackle this day. Um, you know, just give that, uh, give certain feed on YouTube a subscribe and, you know, check out for a lot, or stay tuned for more content in 2019 because, we're going to be doing some some pretty cool stuff with a couple of 360 cameras as well uh, to get to truly not miss those those one of a kind shots. That's awesome. That's awesome. I'm looking forward to it, man. I'm looking forward to it, and I'm going to pack myself in Jay's suitcase when he comes back out there too. Yeah, we have to see what the winter does out here. Um, <laughs> if the if the rivers are blown out for the first couple of months, you know, it may be like a uh, uh, May June July time frame. Nice. Uh, it's typically going to be one of the best times to, to target these fish. But, yeah, I invite you. Come awesome, on out man. with Jay. We'll put some good footage together, and we will get you a seven-foot fish. That's awesome. I appreciate that, man. I appreciate that. Well, Steve, uh, I mean, uh, you're a wealth of knowledge, and uh, we appreciate you coming on tonight. Um, it's yeah, been a thanks, great man. chat for sure. Yep. Um, thanks a million yeah. for having me, guys. Yeah, yeah, no problem, man. Uh, we'll definitely have to have you back on for sure. Um, so real quick, guys, uh, we just want to say uh, thanks for listening. Um, don't forget, uh, you know, we partnered up with Rocktown Adventures. Go check them out. Uh, local paddle shop here. They, I got to talk to talk to our man Travis, but that promo code that we mentioned in the last episode should be pretty close to up and running so that way you guys can get a discount on all your your gear uh you know dry suits you know uh dry suits pfds paddles boat gear etc rocktownadventures.com and uh also uh check out the paddle and fin shop we got all your uh t-shirts hoodies things like that uh promo code paddle Save you 10% off till the end of the month. And uh, I think that's it. Did I miss anything, Scott? Nope. That's all good. I think it's a wrap, man. All right. Till next time, guys. Tight lines and smooth paddling.
You're listening to the Waypoint Podcast Network, brought to you in part by HuntStand, the number one hunting and land management app. I'm Will Cooper, host of HuntStand's Make Your Mark podcast. For even more content, be sure to watch the original films from HuntStand Presents on the Waypoint TV channel every Tuesday at 10 p.m. Eastern. Visit waypointtv.com to learn more.